This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to Talking Handlers. This is Derek C. Apollo, my co-host, my partner in crime tonight, Brock. He's back. Brock, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you? It's a wonderful day full of joy and cheer. So, folks, in case you haven't noticed, we have a new member of the team here, Brock Davis at BD Rocks 8. He has been a wonderful addition. And because the other guys are out chilling on this holiday week, Brock was available because he likes baseball. That's right. I threw some shade. <laughs> I threw some shade. We have a great show planned for you. I'm going to tell you flat out, it's not normal for us. We're going to be very cut the point. It's been a <clears> long <throat> week in terms of people being on vacation. Certain people had themselves uh, surgery. I think it might have been Brock. And we're just, you know, getting ready for holiday season. So what we want to do is we want to interact with you a little bit. We're going to do a Q&A. We're going to basically get the questions that you want to answer to. And answer them on the show. And then later on, we have Mark Guza. That's right, the Angels color guy. Came on the show, recorded last September, knowing we were going to have a couple down days. And we want to show the interview today. So it's a pretty good interview. It's a little weird hearing him talk about the Indians because that was when he we recorded it. But keep listening because you're going to learn about his career, who he was as a person, and so on and so forth. Brock, how you been, man? Yes. I've been good. I'm excited to hear this uh, Gubazai interview. I remember meeting that guy in spring training a couple times when I was a younger adolescent. He was nothing but nice to me, and uh, he has a true passion for the game. I'm pretty stoked on hearing that interview. That was what stuck with me from the interview, was how passionate he is about his job, and his job being baseball, and how much he everything from talking about the art of pitching from when he was playing to now and the art of just the game. It was really interesting getting into his head and it was a privilege of an interview. It really was. I can't imagine how much, if you could just get this guy 
on a long form conversation you would learn from it because the short form conversation was was pretty unique. Okay, so before we get to the Q and A, we want to just ask you to head on over to Apple Music if you get a chance. If you haven't done it yet, leave us a five star review if you think we deserve it. We really appreciate it. Help us move up the charts. If you want to earn it, hey, that's okay too. That, that's fine. Email us at talkinghillsgmail.com. Give us your feedback. We really appreciate hearing from you. Also, if you're a new listener and enjoying the show, please do us a favor. Please text a fellow Angels fan and let them know about our podcast. It would mean the world to us. All right. So the Q&A. And I know other shows. I know that Taylor Blake Word does it. We do it once in a while. But it's getting to the point now where we really do want to hear more from you this holiday season. We want to just kind of get your thoughts as this team begins this move towards free agency it's underway but they haven't done anything yet and as you're going to see from our questions brock some people are getting a little impatient so as we kick this off what are your expectations for free agency right now i mean i haven't even hit somewhat of a brink of impatience yet i mean it hasn't even been the winter meetings uh we've been in the talks of almost every major reporter you will look at mlb now mlb tonight every major free agent we're in the conversation and that's always a positive thing um and i'm super stoked i'm super excited to see what happens this this uh off season i think we're going to be in the mix uh till the end for a, a good majority of the people that we want and uh I, I'm, I'm staying patient i have trust in epler and uh, marino this off season i really do and i think some major things are going to happen Man, you just said the bad word, okay? You said trust in Epler because there are a lot of folks out there right now who would like to see Epler out of a job. <laughs> they don't like where mm. he's taking the team. What makes you so confident in him? Uh, well, what I do know is when DePoto was here, that was when we had the the whole Hamilton, Pujols, and uh, Wilson ordeal. Am I am I correct? That was the Poto, wasn't it? Um, I believe for a chunk of it, yes. So Depoto was the one who made those deals. So you can't be mad at Epler for that one. And uh, I believe also during Depoto's tenure, it was when we traded a good majority of uh, prospects away and didn't have had pretty much the worst farm system in baseball. Um, so I'm not really a hundred percent sure where the hate for Epler is coming from. I feel like our farm system has improved. I feel like, uh, I mean, we haven't made a big splash in free agency, uh, for the last couple seasons, but if there was an off season to do it, this would be the one. And, uh, I guess for me, this would kind of be my make or break off season for Epler, which is kind of good for him because if he does good things and, gains the uh the trust of the fans back then uh who knows he might be looking at an extension but i I personally don't have a problem with him and uh i guess this year we'll just have to wait and see what he does but i don't have a problem with him it's interesting here you talking about the depoto years and the ordeal with hamilton and wilson and pujols and i gotta be honest if i am the angels during those years, I'm probably making the move for Wilson. I'm probably making the move for Pujols. Uh, not so much on, on Hamilton. I did not like the move then. I felt like he was a product of the, partially at least a product of his environment there, a product of the ballpark, and it wasn't the world's best move, and that turned out to be true. But nobody expected Pujols to fall off the way he did, and C.J. Wilson had a you know, when he was healthy, he was very good for the Angels. Just did, wasn't able to finish the contract. So it's, even then, it's, it's 
it's difficult to judge DePoto's overall tenure except for this. A large portion of his moves just didn't work out. And it drained mm-hmm. the farm system. And in that case, he basically left the cupboard empty for whoever was going to be there. Even if it was going to be him. And that's where the real failure lies. But that takes us now to this organization where it is. And the, the Angels, they hired Joe Madden. And the first question we have here is from Healy Bruce. And he at drives a Healy. And he asks, Madden said the Angels will bunt. How much do you think they will play small ball? The Cubs didn't do a lot of running under Madden and Butterfield, and I've read some fairly negative comments about Butterfield in Chicago Chicago media outlets. Thoughts? Brock, what do you think? Um, well, as far as Butterfield goes, uh, I'm clearly going to have to do a little more research on Butterfield. I'm not too familiar with him, but I, I do know that from the research and the, the things that I've seen the Cubs do um, and the Rays do under Joe Madden, um, I have trust that Joe Madden, if he's going to be willing to hire Butterfield on, on his coaching staff, that he's going to be worth our time and worth his time. Um, <clears throat> as far as the bunting goes, I definitely think that there's going to be a lot more introduced uh, small ball, for sure. I think that we have a fairly decent uh, power contact speed-based team uh, just across the board. You know, Throughout our lineup, we have a little bit of everything. Um, I, I also think that, that stolen bases will go up a little bit considering uh, Goodwin, uh, Fletch, uh, Renjifo, uh, they got the speed to, to steal some bases. And, uh, I think that that's going to definitely increase bunting and moving people over and stealing bases. I definitely think it's going to increase with, uh, Madden. I hope it does. I really do. I think it would increase our game, increase our run scored. And if we get some pitching, then we won't need hopefully too many runs to, to win, win some games. So I'm here for it. I agree. I also think though, that in the end, the names we probably shouldn't look for are Mike Trout or Shohei Otani. Not because they can't run. They're obviously both very fast. But you're trying to protect these guys. Both of them are coming off injuries. But, you know, Otani's coming totally back from Tommy John surgery. You don't want to risk his health. And you have other guys who can manufacture runs. So I wouldn't expect this massive increase in terms of stolen bases or bunting. You're not going to well, you're not going to get Trout bunting. We're not going to want Trout bunting. But... Bunning, stolen bases, just improved, aggressive base running. We're going to see it from everybody, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Baseball's become way too one-dimensional. If you are going to play station-to-station baseball, and that's all you are, then you find the right pitching against you, and you're done. So the Angels need to get back to being how they won the World Series. I'm not saying you need to be that team in particular to have every single quality or anything like that. Or you're not, you don't have to copy everything, but the ideas behind what they did, the fundamentals of good baseball play include being able to hit you from different directions. And bunting is one way that's different from normal hitting that teams can can manufacture runs when they need them. These teams slump. They're pretty valuable then. Team slump. This one, I don't know how I feel about I kind of feel like this is very unfair to Billy Upler. This comes from Aaron at Angels Fan 1982. She asked, why is Epler being lazy and not getting anything done? <laughs> well, um, Savagery. My first, my first question is, how do you know he's not getting anything done? How she do you know? doesn't. You, yeah, you don't. And it's not fair in that way. I mean, it's not fair to go at him yet. Now, at the end of December, he's done nothing yet, quote-unquote. No one signed. Then it's open season. But it takes this. I mean... You have guys like Strasburg. How much do you think he's going to make? 
Well, you had a number down for him. How much he'll make? I had him down for uh, six and one eighty. So six and one eighty. Garrett Cole, how much? I had him for seven and two forty five. Okay, so that's a lot of money, right? I mean, and that's going to be a lot of stuff you got to negotiate in between. I, I personally believe that it's going to take time when you're putting that kind of contract together. When you're, when you're really trying to convince somebody to come over, that's a lot of money and a lot of finagling and competing you're going to have to do against other people for their services. Last I heard, I think, was, wasn't it 14 teams that were in on call? 14? I, don't, I wouldn't even say that's even enough, honestly. How many do you think are in on I mean, other than the teams that literally can't afford them, probably everybody. Anybody who has the has the payroll space, which realistically, unless they plan on making any other moves, they only got to have thirty five million left, you know. And that doesn't even necessarily mean they can't sign them. Like the Yankees, they don't they don't have any money left in uh, uh, with competitive balance tax. They're already over it, but they're they're heavily in on them. So I mean, at that point, you can't even really rule out the people who don't have any money left either. So uh, <laughs> they're going to find money somewhere. Yeah, I mean, other than the teams that you know won't spend on them, you know, like the Orioles, the Marlins, you know, the Rays. Other than that, I mean, pretty much everybody's in on them, honestly. Pittsburgh will probably be in that list, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's there's definitely a little bit of a laundry list of, of, of teams that won't be willing to pitch forth the money. But, but yeah, and, and to add, add on to what you said about, you know, the negotiation factor um, – when you're talking about such a heavy investment like that, these these guys they don't just go, oh yeah, you want to come play in Orange County, Cole? All right, cool. Uh, Seven two forty five. How does that sound? All right, oh, cool. Sound sign here. That's not how it goes. There's I think I think a lot of people forget about this, especially people who haven't been following baseball for a long time and truly understand uh, what goes behind what goes on behind closed doors. And you know. Epler and, and, and the Angels management is, is personally calling every single person that's come in contact with Garrett Cole throughout the last couple seasons. They're asking him, hey, has he had any elbow pain? Has he had any shoulder pain? Mm-hmm. Has he com- been complaining of any pain? Uh, they're going to talk to his doctor, his, his, uh, his uh, sports trainer, his pitching coach, everybody, and, and get the deep down analytics, statistics, uh, the personal feel, every single thing to try to get – down down and dirty with how this investment's going to turn out and and realistically there's not really any true way to tell if it will long term but if you're going to be willing to spend 245 million dollars on a single individual you're going to make damn sure that he's going to be worth that 245 million dollars and there's a lot of work that goes into that a lot of work and there's some belief he may be he may get paid more than that and so yeah money's on the line when you, sure. we got dollar bills flying and you got people who are willing to go out there and invest that kind of money in somebody. It's going to take time. How it's it's pretty rare that a major superstar signs by this point in the hot stuff era, hot stuff season. It's just not going to happen, really. I okay. guarantee there's never been a two hundred million dollar plus contract signed before this time. Even winter meetings, I guarantee it's never happened. I mean, don't quote me on that, but I feel like that's never happened. Um, and it's usually winter meetings that things start to heat up. Yeah. So. Next question here. This is from Rich at King of Sports. He says, should the Angels try to get Mad Bum? What do you think? Well, you know I'm all over this question. I, I, love, I love Mad Bum. Uh, some people hate him. Some people love him. Um, 
you and I have had conversations about a uh, comparison of, of whether I'd rather have Mad Bum or, or Ryu on the mound. Uh, from a personal standpoint, um, you know, statistically, the answer is Ryu. Uh, personally, if I were on the Angels and, and coming from a baseball background of, uh, you know, I played baseball for close to 16 years, and I would rather have Mad Bum on the mound as, as part of the Angels team. And that's just because of his, uh, I guess you could call it FU persona, <laughs> his that's my plate, not yours. And that irritates some people, but I will tell you that a majority of guys that are competitive and want to win, when, when Mad Bum gets up there, they feel like they're gonna they're in a winning position, even if he doesn't have the same stuff that he had, uh, you know, in in the 2012 2014 era where he was killing in the postseason and throwing 200 innings with a sub three ERA. He's still he's still a pro pitcher. He still has that mentality, and and I will tell you, regardless of whether he's 30 or 22 or has the same stuff he used to, people are still scared to go up to that plate when Mad Bum's on the mound. That's a scary dude. He's like the he's like a Kind of like a Scherzer without the good enough, good as good stuff as Scherzer, but kind of that same just workhorse get out, get out of my face. I'm gonna I'm gonna strike you out kind of mentality, and that that's that's worth a lot. That's worth a lot to an organization. I'd so, say, yes. I mean, and I I know how big you are on him and the comparisons to other people who are around his around his basically his his spending, what he's gonna get paid. Okay. And Ryu is a guy there, and just for comparison's sake, I'm going to argue a hundred times over. If it's between those two, and you can only have one of them. I'm going for Ryu. I'm going for the guy who has number one stuff, at least when he's healthy. Uh, why wouldn't I? Especially because it's going to be a short-term deal. On the flip side of it, if you've got options, and Mad Bum is not your first option, but he's still sitting there. In other words, you got somebody else to fit that ace, that ace billing, a person who knows going to be your stopper. Then yes, go get Mad Bum because he does have the ability to give you lots of innings and give you some quality starts. He's not going to be who he was a few years ago, but he's going to be the guy who can go into the seventh, eighth inning almost every night. And quite frankly, the Angels need that. They need that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. All right, so the next question is from Zach Hat at Zach Hat one He asks, is Joe Adele the second coming of Michael Nelson Trout? What do you think? No. <laughs> you say no. Okay. Uh, I, I say no. I mean, I, 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 it's, not fair. it's not fair to compare him to Trout. This guy's young. Let him play. You know, see what he's see what he's up to. See what he's yeah, uh, what he's capable of. But comparing him to who could potentially be, uh, you know, the best player for the next you know fifty sixty years. That's that's pretty. Uh, that's a lot of pressure to be putting on somebody to to perform. I, I mean, I definitely think he's going to be good. I definitely think he might be really good. Uh, but comparing him to Trout um, might might be a little too far. I don't think it's I don't think it's really a question of that at all. I think you I, I don't think it's even something that we should entertain. I'm, and I'm sorry Zach that I feel that way. It's not it has nothing to do with you. It's just that we don't even know what kind of player Joe's going to be. We think he's going to be great. 
but he's still a different player. He's not the same guy. And there's also what I would call a mirage effect, where you know it's been so long since the Angels have produced an oasis, i.e. a good profit, that you start seeing that oasis now with him. You don't know if he is what you think he is. No one does. Do I think he is what, he, what we think he is? Yeah, I do. I think he's going to be a very good player. I think he's going to be an all-star. But until he's at the major league level, hitting major league pitching, I don't think it's fair to him. I don't think it's fair to Mike Trout. I don't think it's fair to the club to even go there. And also, just, sure. just one more part about that. Since we don't know what his ceiling is, I know people say they didn't know his ceiling, you know, the scouts or anything, but he's in a different situation than Mike Trout was. Mike Trout came up and he was with a, well, he was with a Albert Pujols who was beginning the downturn of his career. He was never going to hit 300 again. Okay. He cut it. If, Adele comes up this year, and he I think he will. You've got Mike Trout in his prime. You've got Shohei Otani. You've got what's actually a pretty sticking good line, but they're healthy. People who have been there and done that and worn the t-shirt. Joe Adele is going to be the beneficiary of that knowledge and that influence of these different professionals out there. So there's a chance. Don't quote me. Don't stop listening to the podcast because I went there. But there's a chance, a small chance, that he becomes better than Mike Trout because there's different variables there. Yeah, no, I mean, in a way, in a way, you're you're right. He's going to have crazy resources there, and I mean, you can't even you you can't disregard Pujols. That guy's still one of the best right-handed hitters in the history of baseball. So that knowledge is still all up there. Whether he could actually execute it or not doesn't really mean that he can't. He can't bring that forth to Joe Adele and be like, look, dude, I've been around for however many years. I'm, you know, 500 homer hitter, 3,000, you know, whatever. So he, he has the knowledge up there to, to give Adele that knowledge too. But I was just going to say uh, before, Trout's been consistent in, in major league baseball for nine seasons with three MVPs and, what, eight silver sluggers or something like mm-hmm. that. So, I mean, it's pretty insane to have somebody that's never even faced an MLB pitcher yet. Or at least, you know, maybe he has, but, you know, when they're in the minors or whatever. But as far as an actual MLB pro game on the Angels, he, he hasn't even done that yet. So to compare him to somebody who's been consistently insane for nine years with three MVPs is a little out of this world. Let's give him a couple seasons, three, three, you know, maybe even three or four seasons to perform at a consistently insane basis like Trout did. And then we'll, we'll, we'll revisit this conversation. Yeah, that's what you got to do. You can't just go there now. And again, Zach, there's nothing not giving you a hard time about it. It's just it's just too early. It's just too early. It's a hot take. It's a hot take. I mean it's not even a hot take. He asked the question. It's not even saying That's true. That, you know, he asked the question. He didn't come up with, with an actual commitment. But the fact that he thought of that, I'd really like to know a little more why. So Zach, if you're listening, what made you go there? Please, go ahead and if you could just respond to us and let us know because I'm generally interested in what made you go there. What did you see that Got you thinking, hmm, as he's at second coming. Okay. That's what I'm saying. It's a hot take to even think that. Uh, yeah. What are you? What, what's going through your mind that you would consider asking that question? And that's not a, a shame question. No, no, Not no. by any means. That's an actual 
Are you seeing something that other people aren't seeing when you're observing Joe Adele? Because there yeah, are I want a lot of fans who, <laughs> who go out there and watch these games. Okay, so from Nasty, at Nasty Halos. Actually, no, 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 hold on. Let me, let me, let me come back to that one real quick here. I'm going to take care of this one because it's going to be real quick and easy. I'll handle it real quick. Um, LJ Hall at the Awesome Eater on Twitter asks, what has happened to the stadium? It's their meeting tomorrow. Or, sorry, Friday. We're recording on Wednesday. They're, they're meeting Friday. It's the second time they've met in recent days, uh, in recent weeks. It looks like they're moving in the direction the Grove is being talked about. Is this new thing going to happen or not? What do you think? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I feel like it will. I, I feel like everything's going well. I feel like now that they're actually communicating with each other and things are moving, I mean, they kind of have to considering I think the lease is up at the end of the, at the, end of the season, correct? Um, it can be. They can make a move to opt out, or they can renew. We can't. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I'd much rather keep it where it's at and just renovate and, and build up from where we are. I, I love Angel Stadium where it is right now. I, I, I don't want to move it, honestly. Well, they got to build something, though, dude. And they, That stadium, it needs some work. No matter how you do it, if it you're going to build fresh or if you're going to renovate. It's been renovated so many times. You can only renovate so many times, in my view. So... It's whatever works to keep that team out there. Moving out to Long Beach or somewhere else is not a, a solution. It's just not. You're, if you move anywhere else outside that Orange County Anaheim area, you're basically going to be doing what the Rams did when they moved from the Coliseum to Anaheim, which was cut off a huge part of their fan base. And then in the end, you lost those guys. They never Those fans wouldn't go out that far. It, just don't do it. Your fan base is there. Build there. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense any other way. For sure, I, I totally agree. I don't. I don't really have much else to say about it. I mean, whatever, whatever works for the team in the city. And I, like you said, I don't want them to move because I, I don't want them to lose any fans. Um, you know, they they get good ticket sales. You know, and and if the team starts picking it up and gets some free agents and actually starts winning, more of those people will show up. So um, no, I, I don't want them to move far at all. I don't. I want them to stay where they're at, regardless of whether it's building a brand new stadium in the parking lot right next to it and breaking down that one. If that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. But no, I don't want them to move. I want them to stay where they're at. All right, here we go. Next one. This is from 2020 second AL wildcard, maybe question mark at halo AK five. Is it Cole Strauss or bus for the angels? That's part one of the question. And part two is, can the angels honestly be a contender without an ace? I think we can answer the second part first. Fair game, Brock. You can do that. Real quick. Yeah, uh, I think that if this, what was the question? Simply, if we don't get an ace, then are we a contender? Is that the can question? Can they be a contender without an ace? No. And I'm yep. Yeah, no, no, it's not going to happen. You need that guy right now. You need a stopper. You need somebody to stand the gap for you when things aren't going well. That person whose stuff you can always rely on. You need your ace. Okay, but the more complex question to me is: Is it Cole Strauss or Bus for the Angels? Now, do you think he's asking Cole and Strauss, or is he saying Cole or Strauss? Was it a slash? It was a slash. Is it Cole, Strauss, or Bust? Okay, so I think he's saying like either like if we don't get either one, are we screwed? I think is what he's asking. Okay, well we can do both. So I I think definitely if oh man, that's there's so many variables in this question. I, I've revisited this so many times in my head and tried to think of all the possible scenarios. Um, I don't necessarily. I don't necessarily think if we don't get either one of those guys, it's a complete bust. But that literally leaves one other scenario, at least for me, in my opinion, that that other person would have to be Wheeler, 
and then we'd have to go out and get at least one or two uh like mid to lower tier starters as well so you're talking like wheeler mad bum and ryu rather than because if we sign cole it would be pretty much cole and wheeler or cole and mad bum uh, so it'd be pretty much two starters in comparison to three if we were to go the real uh, the wheeler as our main pickup. So I don't necessarily think it's it's one or the other of those guys are bust. I I, I kind of mentally want to say that it would be a bust, but as far as production wise, no, I don't think it w- it's either one of them or bust. Just because I think you could get similar production out of Wheeler, Ryu, and Mad Bum, the three of them combined in the top of our rotation, than you could with uh, Wheeler and and Garrett Cole. What um, I think they're but, asking, though, is is it Cole and Strauss or Bust? Like, do you have to have those two or not? Like, both of them? And he's got the, the, the slash there, so I'd say we can, let's answer it both ways. Both of them or one or the other. I mean, man, if we if we sign Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg, I mean, we're, we're looking pretty good. But, you know, in the previous podcast, I had explained that I would have been just as happy with Cole and Wheeler as well. Um, so I feel like the, the easy answer to your question is no. It's not necessarily bust if we don't get both of them. I think there's a lot of other variables and scenarios where we would be okay. Um, but I think Garrett Cole, Zach Wheeler, and Steven Strasburg, if we don't get one of those three, it's kind of a bust for sure. you got to get one, I think. So in terms of if the question is if it's one or the other or bust, no, not necessarily. Is it both or bust? Definitely, definitely no. It's not a bust. Expand upon like you're saying. I agree. It's you got to get one of those top three guys. You need someone to head the rotation. Those are the guys with the best stuff. Don't let some of the stat lines fool you on Wheeler, especially. You got to get one of those three, and then you can build in different directions around. Now, another variable is: is there an ace level pitcher out there that the Angels go for? And I hope they don't. I hope they're trying to stock up on those prospects as, as much as possible. But if there mm-hmm. is, that could be the alternative that no one's really deeply considering just yet. And I also, I don't know if you saw this. I don't know if he was really, I don't know if you guys have talked about it on the podcast yet, but Kyle Gibson was one of the kind of third tier starters that was uh, available. And he uh, supposedly he agreed to terms with the Rangers, I believe. Uh, so he's. He's, he's off the market. Pomeranz also agreed with the Padres, so there's two pitchers right there. I mean, Pomeranz was a reliever, uh, but two pitchers that could have possibly been on the Angels' radar is, is probably no longer on the Angels' radar. So, A lot of Angels fans upset about the Pomeranz deal. I am too, and I, I don't know if you saw what the contract details were. $4 million for next year. And it's a four, supposedly it's a four-year deal. I think it said it was uh, 4688 with like an eight million dollar sign-on bonus or something like that, but I mean four million dollars. That, that you know, even if he sucked next year, even if he just gave us mid-tier relieving, man, four million dollars—that's chump change. Well, it bro, is though. Not, it's not chump change, man. We're talking about it is though. It's four I mean, million dollars. You give me four million dollars, I'd, I'd happily take four million dollars. But I'm just saying, we're paying Trout how much? Thirty-six. Yes, in that context, yes, but um, that's what I'm saying. In, in baseball context, four million dollars for a guy who is literally probably cap, the best reliever in the second half of the season. I mean, you're gambling for sure that he's going to come back and give you a a full season of that, or four full seasons of that, for that matter. But but still, I mean, four million dollars to to give it a shot, and then they could even consider trading him, considering it's kind of a short term deal, and 
Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Good for the Padres. I mean, the Padres are on the up and up. And like I said before, I think they're going to sign Strasburg too. So well, I mean, we'll see what happens. I would have liked to have seen them make the deal. I don't think it's the end of the world. I think right now they 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 probably want to mirror what they did last year, and they found a lot of good relief help from the waiver wire from within. And if they can do that, then I think they, they're much more comfortable being able to spend the money on guys like Cole or guys like Wheeler. And if they can do that, you know, they're, they're feeling good. So I don't really blame them yet if they don't address the bullpen. There are other arms out there as well. If the bullpen winds up being a train wreck next season, we're going to look back and go, you know, that guy was pretty affordable. And there's also one more thing, too. We don't know if he wanted to play for the Angels. Mm-hmm. We don't know that. Especially, I mean, we need starting. And I mean, I, I don't, like I've said before, and I, I've said this in my blog as well. I, I, we need starter. We need starting pitching. And I would not even be the least bit upset if we literally signed three starters and then just called free agency a day. If we went out and signed Cole Wheeler and you know another mid to low tier pitcher, you know, I'm not going to spat out any names. There's plenty on the market right now. Um, then I would be 100 percent okay with that. Honestly, because our offense, middle of the pack, and that was unhealthy. Our our bullpen, middle of the pack, and you know that's honestly not that bad for for the kind of season we had last year. Skaggs passing away, the unhealthy, the the just the honestly losing mentality that we probably had for majority of the year of, of not winning games. Our bullpen still put up good numbers. They put they had most of our bullpen guys had more starting. Uh, gosh darn it, our bullpen had more innings pitched than most of our starters. Trevor Cahill had the most innings pitched on our team. Trevor Cahill. That's a sad thing to even talk about. Let's not go there. Okay. Um, <laughs> finally, Super sad. Yeah, we're going to finish this off. These uh, th- these two questions here kind of top it off for us. And that is from Max Castro at Max underscore Castro and from Nasty Halos. Nasty Halos asks, do you think the Halos are due for new uniforms since Nike is MLB's New Jersey provider? And then combine them here because I think they're going to go hand in hand for us. Max Castro asks, what are y'all's favorite Angels logo? Personally, for me, it's between the 1993-96 California Air Locking and the 70-85 California State logo with the halo. Brock, where do you go with it? Uh, don't make fun of me. Mine was 97-01, to the Disney logo. And it's probably just because I have a personal connection to it, considering when the first time I ever laid eyes on the Angels on the TV was those jerseys. I, you know, I'm a young guy. I was born in 1997, right at the beginning of the baseball season in April. And uh, the first jerseys I ever saw them wear was the, the white and dark gray pinstripe jerseys with the, with the plate and bat and wings and you know, even on my MLB The Show game, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but my jerseys on this game are built over or after those 97-01 jerseys. I, I love them. I don't know why. They're cheesy, but I dig them. Uh, as far as the jerseys go now, uh, yeah, I mean, they could use a little bit of a revamp. Um, I think I like, I kind of like them how they are now. I think they uh, they look good. They look clean. They look, they're simple. They're kind of boring, uh, but sometimes boring is good rather than like, super extra and ugly at the same time there's like a fine line between that i really like what the brewers got going on over on their end but um yeah no i mean i I could see them doing something with the jerseys but i guess i don't really have an opinion until they propose something or just show it and then i would either say ew that's disgusting or oh that's super cool so i mean we'll see we'll, we'll see what happens but 
Okay, I got I got to say this. Honestly, when you said 97 to 01, the first thought I had was of Rick James. Dave Chappelle playing Rick James in the old Chappelle show skits where he said cocaine's a hell of a drug. I mean, <laughs> seriously. But at least your explanation makes sense with it. At least it makes sense. I'm going to go Can we throw a poll on Twitter, please? Yes, we can do that. We can put the, we can pull we can put a poll there. Why not? And the answer, folks, we'd love to hear your answers on that. I, I think, though, we did see a, recently a poll as well from somebody else. I'm not sure, but if, we, hey, if, we're, if we're snaking somebody's poll, I'm sorry. I am going to roll with, in terms of the uniforms being done by Nike, I, I like the current uniforms. They're, they're clean. I know they're a little dry for some people, and maybe Nike can spice them up, but I think with the red that's promise. I mean, this is the big thing that Ari's been focusing on. I'm going to go with yes, and you're going to add someone that a little bit of that blue from the 7085 86 to 92 uniforms. Okay, you're going to add someone that blue from those old school uniforms. It would make the uniforms a, a lot less quote-unquote boring. It would add a little pop to the red and it would pay homage to those older ones because that's that's the era I really enjoyed the eighties, the seventy, basically the seventy and ninety three uniforms to me were so sorry seventy ninety two seventy ninety two uniforms those were my favorite ones and Did you say the one you, you're talking about is the C and the A no no it's got the or the California the well no it's got the well the old school in terms of the the A the the halo oh so you're talking about just the super basic A with the with the yellow halo. Well, that one and or the one that is out there now for throwbacks. That's oh, close okay, the, the California I'm talking uh, the, state with the halo on it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I love that one with the California state logo on it. But overall, bring some of that back a little bit. Uh, it's the coloring. Add a little bit of that, of that dark blue coloring in. Bring back some of that flavor because those are cool uniforms. And, you know, who doesn't want cool uniforms? Uh, the red is clean it's nice but i admit it's a little blah especially since we've seen those same uniforms almost for 20 years i get why people don't do might not like them very much did the angels ever have like a cream color jersey no. like back in the day no unless you're talking have about you the, seen the, have you the, seen the uh, Phillies let's talking about the old school ones like uh i don't know i gotta ask halo joe if he knows I think there was a cream color one in the old school angels somewhere, but nothing. I I don't think in terms of major league. I gotta ask Caleb. I have Jones to look one. that up because the Phillies have like a a cream colored one, and I'm I'm, I'm honestly kind of down. I like that cream color. It's pretty cool. But even with the with the throwback jerseys they're wearing now, with the the logo you're talking about, it's like a different color white. Did you notice that? Yeah, it's like a bolder white, and that white looks super good. Yeah. And I would still say, flip it around a little bit, though, and go, how can those look white, a bolder white, right? But yet, their home whites now, with that bright red, don't look so bold. Mm-hmm. Right, so, yeah, I could I see mean, where some people are looking for some, uh, some fresh A little bit of flavor. I like, again, I like the uniforms. I know... That Jeff Perlman asked that when he was on the show, you know, because that was one of his big complaints about the Angels is those uniforms to him weren't very good. But I, they're clean. They're a little bit old school to me. They're classic. But as I look back also through Angels history, 
there's always been a level of classic, but there's also been a level of what's the word? I uh, geez, uh, been a Culture. level of cold, no boldness. Oh, okay. Those seventy to eighty-five, those, those uniforms, those were they, they had some flavor to them. Even the 93, 96, they had a little bit of flavor to them. They were different. And yes, you're 97 to 2001, although they make me want to run in front of a train. I, <laughs> they, they did have a certain level of boldness, even though they were probably caricatures. So I'm, I'm way more concerned about signing Garrett Cole right now than I am about the Angels changing their jerseys. I will say that. Yeah, that's true. But you know what? Talking about those jerseys, there's something, you know, there's something to it. You want your club to represent you well. And plus you're going to be buying their stuff. So you better put out good looking stuff. I'm just saying. How about this? How about we throw in a clause in Garrett Cole's contract that says he will be able to design the new angels jerseys during the term oh, of his contract. How about that? That could be a, it's, a, it's a little deal we could throw in. That could be interesting. That would be sick. I mean, what if he's not a good designer? What if we create a, a uniform that's just stick figures? Well, we can't pick and choose. I mean, we signed Garrett Cole. I mean, what else do you guys want? <laughs> Just saying. All right, folks. So it is to that point here. We want to talk with you. Actually, we we want to talk with Mark Gubaza. It was a nice interview. Check it out. Our interview with Mark Gubaza. All right, folks. Here with Mark Gubaza, the color guy for the Angels on the broadcast. Mark, how you doing, man? Good, real good. What's going on? You know, I'm getting ready for another game today. Uh, Cleveland in town. And- they're battling for that wild card spot. They're uh, kind of looking up at Oakland and Tampa right now, but they're a uh, they're a really good team. It's going to be a tough one for the Halos tonight. And the Indians have really had the Angels number the last couple of years here, and it's been kind of brutal to watch. <laughs> so good to see a very good team in town. But what's your assessment of the series? Uh, you know, the reason why the Angels have kind of struggled and scuffled against them lately is because of the fact that Cleveland's pitching staff is uh, it's really – Solid. Their bullpen at times could be, you know, you can score some runs against, but their starting staff has been really good. Even with Corey Kluber being out for such a significant period of time, uh, Bieber, Shane Bieber pitching tonight for them, local boy, really, in, you know, from SoCal, he's been great. Won the MVP of the All-Star game, was excellent there, and been throwing the ball very well for him. So, uh, you know, I think they're hurt, though, a little bit Cleveland now with Jose Ramirez being out. Uh, no real timetable when he'll be back in their lineup, so it definitely hurts them far as their balance in their lineup but they're uh they're still a really good team and terry francona does a great job managing them as well hey, heck of a manager um but uh, what i really wanted to get in with you because i mean one you do a great job and you really bring the players view to the game to us on the screen but what many people i think don't understand is really how good a pitcher you were during your career you made a couple all-star game appearances you had a career era under four you had a 21 season even had a rookie of the year award so overall what made you successful as a pitcher throughout your career and what could younger pitchers learn from you you know the funny thing is everyone nowadays when they see me they think of me as just a guy on tv doing an angel game which is which is cool with me i mean i'm in love with what i've been doing but uh, I really enjoyed competing on the mound. And I think growing up and, and playing in the Philadelphia area, uh, only playing baseball for three or four months a year and playing other sports, whether it was football or basketball or occasionally some hockey and things like that, kind of made me a more well-rounded athlete. And, uh, but when baseball season came around, I was playing stickball. You know, I was throwing baseballs off uh, telephone wires just to create different reactions off it as far as catching the baseball, throwing it off my – my my wall at my house 
uh, we have, we lived in a row home back in Philly, so we're I was able to throw it as hard as I could out there and build arm strength and all the little things were not conventional as far as getting stronger and stronger. But I think it all made me you know a very competitive person. I think if one thing to describe me on the mound, and, and I would say it would probably be competitive, and uh, I, I enjoyed going out and get, going against anybody. And, and to me, anytime I took the mound, every one of those guys wearing a different uniform were not my friend. And, and, and it didn't even matter if I knew them, could have even been related to me. I didn't like them. And, and that's why, that's why, you know, it was funny when guys would come over from other teams and go, man, we used to hate your guts screaming at you in advance. They go, yeah, I probably heard you, but you know, it's, but I, I really enjoy playing with you as a teammate. And that's all I really cared about is my teammates liking me and my opponents is uh, my opponents not liking me at all. And you were very successful overall. I mean, there, it could be argued that had the Royals been a little bit better over the, that entire time frame, you would have different numbers. The ERA below four shows that. You had several seasons pitching over 200 innings, including 269 and two-thirds innings in 1988. Today, it's, it's pretty rare. Not entirely rare, but pretty rare for a pitcher to get over 200 innings. What has changed about Major League Pitching since you played? And did your body pay the price for all those innings you pitched? Yeah, uh, first, you know, as far as the, what we're seeing in today's game, and I, and I understand in some ways where they feel that because there's so many good arms down in the bullpen that uh, that's the reason why they don't go through three or four times through a lineup. It's, it's almost understandable there. But then again, I'm, I'm watching what's going on in baseball. Those same bullpen arms that were great over the last two or three years are not so good right now because of the wear and tear of them as well. And those guys are up and getting, you know, bullpens are going to get 12 or, nine outs every single night and, and they're max effort guys. I mean, they're throwing as hard as they can and you're seeing drops in velocity and, and, and snap on their breaking balls. So I, I think at some point the game will go back somewhat towards, you know, not that long ago when I was playing where you're going to see starters get a chance to go a little deeper in games and throw a few more pitches. I, I've had so many conversations with either guys playing now or even guys in my era where, if you got me that first time through the lineup, that's when I was going to give up some runs. Because whenever I got through the first and second time through the lineup, I knew exactly how to get you out as a batter. And I don't care if you knew all my pitches, I was getting you out. Because I was on a roll, I was confident, and I was going to find a way to get you out the third and sometimes fourth. Even if I faced you five times during the course of the game, I, I felt I still had the advantage. As much as everyone nowadays says the hitters have the advantage when they have a book on you, more so than it did in the past. But for me, it's knowledge and, and eyesight that tells you when a hitter is locked in against you and when he's uncomfortable against you. And the second part of that, you know, your body, again, you, you pitched a lot of innings, but you also got hurt towards the end. How did those innings affect you physically over the course of time? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, the second part of that, um, you know, I had a stretch of what I was averaging probably about, what, 245, 250 during a three-year stretch. Mm-hmm. My job, I always thought, even talking to position players on a team, my job was to be out there in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning every night. I got, you know, I was out there every five days. Uh, I, I, I watched and talked to so many different pitchers over the years, from Nolan Ryan to Tom Seaver to Steve Carlton to Don Drysdale, just to pick their brains on how they were able to throw as many innings they threw and how they were able to maintain velocity from the first pitch to the last pitch they threw during the course of the game and. and and to why they were always wanted, to, why they always wanted to be out there in the ninth inning, and you know, you, you pick up those little nuggets from them, and that's that's all my mindset was. Now, looking back at it, was there times where you, could I have said to the manager, "Hey, man, I'm shot. I, I don't have anything left in my arm. 
maybe here and there, but I, I felt that uh, that was my, my job and my obligation to my teammates to be out there as long as the manager wanted me out there. And I was never going to say, hey, man, I'm, I'm tapped out. I don't have anything left. That The hitters would let me know and let the manager know when I'm done during the course of a game. And those injuries, they I mean, especially as you get on later, I'm sure it kind of reminds you a little bit of your mortality that you only have a certain amount of time left in the game. How did you deal with all those injuries knowing that time wasn't necessarily on your side? Yeah, you know, that's that, when you look back and you know, think, what, what could I have done to make sure my arm was going to be, you know, healthy enough to where I was going to be able to go a few more seasons and, and, and be more successful? Because after, you know, beginning part of my career, I was a guy that for whatever reason I, in my mindset was, was I should be a strikeout pitcher. And I really wasn't because I was generally going to be down in the strike zone with my fastball. Slider, I can get a swing and miss. I didn't throw many change-ups early on. Then I evolved into a guy that actually learned how to pitch instead of just being a thrower. So as far as how was, I mean, I kept thinking, even to this day, I think, how could I allow myself to be healthier? And, and then I, I step back and go, you know what? There's no way I could have did anything differently. Because I did, uh, when, I, when I mentioned talking about Nolan Ryan, how he maintained his velocity, you know, from the first year he pitched all the way till when he was in his mid-40s, was all about strength in his legs and his core and his and his thighs and his you know the backside to be able to drive towards the plate what you had to do as far as running sprint work long distance all those things come into play and 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 I, I find myself saying I had no regret no rhyme or reason why I got hurt other than the fact is throwing a baseball is is not a, an orthodox thing anytime you lift your arm up you're, mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna tear some fibers and the way I threw the ball I was not the most my legs and everything else as far as the body and drive towards the plate, I thought that was exactly what you needed to be to be really good for a long period of time. But my arm motion itself was not perfect. But I couldn't, you know, you know, I couldn't change it. And if I tried to, and I did try it on occasion, there was no way I was going to have the same deception I would have. And so I was just going to have to live with what you know, God gave me as far as my talent and my arm motion. Uh, and I was just going to ride it as long as I could. And, and fortunately enough, I was able to play for a long period of time. I wish I'd have been healthier at certain parts of my career, but mm-hmm. no regrets whatsoever. When did you know you were done? Uh, I'll, I'll never forget this. I was pitched against, as a matter of fact, Cleveland and with, with the Angels in 97, and, and my arm was really, really killing me. And uh, so I'm walking, you know, I got through the first inning, I don't even know how, because I warmed up that day, and it was the home opener for the Indians in 97. And I never even reached home plate on any delivery warming up. So I'm thinking, I was hoping that somebody pulled the plug on me and said, hey, your arm looked like a shot. But, you know, you just have it in you as a fighter's mentality. I'm going to go out there. So in the first inning, I won two, three with, I think, one or two strikeouts. I'm thinking, how did I do that? So then the next inning, I think I gave up maybe 11 straight hits or something crazy like that. And as I walked off the, off the mound and walking up to the clubhouse, and I, I knew it in my mind I was done. It was, it's tough because you, you, it's the only thing I've ever known forever. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing Garrett Anderson, and he looked at me, and he looked at me, and uh, and he knew it, and I knew it, and I didn't have to say a word, and he didn't say a word either that that was it for me. And at that point, I was I was done. But I still still had it in me a couple, you know, two years later. I mean, I, that winter I worked out and signed a minor league deal with uh, with the Dodgers, worked out all the way through, and had my place set up for Vero Beach down in, in Florida with the Dodgers and. Charlie Huff was the pitching coach during the winter sessions there, and I asked him to be totally honest with me because I still felt, you know what, I did some rehab on my shoulder. It felt pretty good. And I asked him flat out, I said, can I get any big league hitters out? And he said, no. I said, all right, thank you for your honesty. And then that's when I officially retired. So, you know, looking back on your career now, 
what are you most proud of and what would you do differently if you could go back in time? Um, the most incredible moment ever was being involved with the team that won a World Series as, as a 23-year-old in 85. That was the most incredible thing that I've ever experienced in my life as far as as a player. I, I, I saw the 1980 World Series between the Royals and the Phillies as a Philly fan with my dad, was, which was the first game I ever went to with my dad in my life, and I was the clincher in the 80 World Series, and then be in a World Series and winning a World Series five years later was pretty amazing. But I think on an individual basis, that year I won 20 games, you know, because the year before I threw the ball very, very well, lost 18 games. I was 13 and 18, uh, threw a lot of innings, I think 250, 254, and uh, we just didn't score any runs. There's nothing I could do about that. Even though you, you know, you go out there to try to compete, you would love to get those wins, but I felt pretty good about the fact that I had 31 decisions that year so and I asked a bunch of people from Burt Blylev and all those guys he's, he, and he told me flat out he goes you got to be pretty good to get a lot of decisions that means your manager is giving you a shot every single day and you're pitching deep in the game so then I carried it right into that next year and, and made some adjustments as far as you know not trying to throw the ball so hard I went from walking 120 guys in 87 when I lost those games to the following year I think 60 I walked or 80 and I won 20 games. So I learned not to try to overthrow the ball. I learned mm-hmm. to be more of a pitcher to get as quick as quick as outs as possible. That really seems to be a lost art today. Like everybody's just trying to be a power thrower, and even the younger guys who aren't power throwers are trying to be a power thrower. What advice would you have for a young pitcher who does not have the 99 mile an hour fastball that that really needs to focus on things like control to well to control a game? You know, I still coach and help out at high school baseball. I was a head coach for a while in the early 2000s. And, and my, my biggest thing I taught my kids in high school, and I, even to this day when I talk to any big league pitchers that want to have a conversation, I said, your goal is to see how many times you can get an out with two pitches, one or two pitches, every game. And, and they look at you like, well, we're in, a, we're in an era where everyone's talking about swing and miss percentages. And to do that, I mean, you're throwing the ball as hard as you can, you break a ball as hard as you can, and it looks good with strikeouts. It look good. It looks good with swing and misses, but it's not allowing you to go deep in the game. It's not allowing you to stay durable and healthy because you're throwing. It's like going to a carnival and trying to knock down those mm-hmm. milk cartons. You're throwing as hard as you can those bottles. Yeah, every once in a while you knock them down, but but after you're done throwing it, your arm is pretty sore. Can you imagine doing that for 90 to 100 pitches or in the course of a game? It's just not. It's so hard to do that. No matter how strong you are, how much work you put into it. It's just it's a difficult thing. So I always think pitchability, hitting spots, changing speeds, keeping that fastball, that max fastball or that max break on your or your curveball or slider or both or splitter, have that in, in you know, always in your arsenal when you need it, but you don't need to throw that every single time. Get outs, utilize your defense because in this day and age, there is the most some of the most incredible athletes I've ever seen in baseball. At any point in my career, I've never seen so many great athletes in baseball yet we're not utilizing them because we're having so many pitchers swing, you know, going up there trying to get swing and misses and or hitters trying to hit the ball in the air out of the ballpark. So there's not a lot of contact made, and I think there should be more because the game is better when everyone's utilized during the course of a game. That means your fielders and your hitters and your pitchers. So that brings me down to present time. Like uh, You've been a part of this Angels Now team for a while, and I mean, i, I got to admit, man, I'm a big fan. I enjoy listening to you and watching you call a game. And honestly, if if I hadn't known you played for the the Royals all those years, I would have thought you were a lifelong Angel. So, what's made it possible for you to become such an intricate part of the Angels family today? Yeah, you know, I, I 
you know, I think it's, I think it always goes, it still goes back to my upbringing, how when you're a part of something, you're part of a family. And, you know, from the year I was with the Angels, and it wasn't a, a particularly good year on the mound for me in 97, obviously, with the Angels. But I kept contact with a lot of different people in the organization. And then when the opportunity came for me to be the color analyst, and I've been doing it now for 13 years, that uh, I almost feel that this, I'm more of a, a part of the Angel family than any any other organization I've ever been to with, whether, it's, you know, it's the Royals or even in the, in the high school level coaching or, or, you know, anything else in my entire life. So they're my family. And, you know, and, and the way I've always was brought up, you, you, you protect, you honor, and you cherish the fact you're part of a, a group and a family. And I, and I definitely feel really honored to be part of the Angel family, that's for sure. So looking at the current Angels, I mean, let's just throw it out there. There are more and more fans expressing discontent with the job Billy Upper's done over, the, over his tenure, which I don't agree with. But how do you evaluate his tenure with the team? Yeah, I'm a good friend of mine, Billy, and, and we talk a lot. It's you know, it's really cool the fact that he's been real open with allowing me to either text or call him on the phone, and or when I see him in person, just to been able to have a conversation as if we're friends, colleagues. And usually with general managers, you always get the you know the basic boring answers where hey, we're trying to do this, we're trying to do that. But there's always something every time I ask Billy, what is the process you guys are trying to go through to make sure not only do you win now. But it's sustainable for a, for a number of seasons, and uh, there's a lot of things that have gone well. Obviously, there's a lot of things that have gone b- bad. It's been a, a tragic season, obviously, for the Angels in a, in a number of different ways. Uh, I do believe in, in the whole analytic world, but I also believe in in the, in the old school world. And I think we're going to see not only with the Angels organization, but around baseball, where it goes back and meets in the middle, because that that makes for me it's going to make the best game possible, where all the new stuff we've learned now and be able to implicate in the game, plus the fact is baseball players are human beings. They're not robots. They're not machines. That you can incorporate all the stuff that comes into play because, hey, if a pitcher's, you know, okay, he's throwing 96 miles an hour, that's his average fastball velocity. Well, that Mm -hmm. particular day, anything could be going wrong. He might not be feeling good. He might have a family problem going on. Anything could come, come about. Travel might have been difficult. So if you don't have the 96, how do you get people out? So then, then you go back to, all right, I got to be able to be able to pitch on the mound. Or if I'm a hitter, all right, I'm not feeling great. My hands are kind of sore. You know, I'm trying to lift the baseball, but maybe this is the time where I just kind of punch the ball the other way. I know it's going against the, the, the school of thought now of, as far as trying to lift the ball and launch angles. All those things will come back into play. And I think that's what you're going to see with Billy. I think as, as you move forward as far as constructing this team together, there is a, some really solid, incredibly talented young players down in the minor league system. That first and foremost gives you sustainability as far as winning. Now it's up to Billy with some, you know, I think with last year he tried it, or this season he tried a lot of one-year deals and just hoped that some of them worked out. Basically hardly any of them did. And it was, it's, it's always rolling the dice in that situation. Now with some names out there potentially it's in the free agent market or via trade, this is where Billy goes in and, and makes those decisions and gets guys that are going to be here for the long haul and have a chance to be really good for a lot of, a lot of years because you got – the best, best player maybe ever in Trout and one of the most global phenoms in, in the world and, and Shohei Otani, who will be back pitching next year. You have Albert Poole, arguably one of the best right-handed batters ever in the game, and you have one of the most incredible shortstops in the game. So you have a core of really, really, really good players. So you just got to supplement around there to make, make sure this team next year doesn't have a hiccup in the beginning of the season. This goes out and starts playing well and this keeps rolling all the way through. 
so you are a believer in what Epler's doing with the team, just to, just to clarify. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, there's some decisions he's made where he rolled the dice, and, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but at least he made the, the effort to do that. You know, when we signed uh, Matt Harvey, I thought, man, that's a great pickup. Did not work out. You know, Jonathan Lucroy, I said, boy, look what he did with that staff for Oakland. It didn't work out. So, you know, those decisions sometimes aren't perfect. But when you have when you have a guy like Billy willing to do that, and, and there's still some, you know, obviously some money that makes it more difficult to bring in other, you know, players or free agents because of salary constrictions, but that, that opens up considerably next year. So it'll be a fun team putting together. I know it'll be people, and, and, and I fully understand where they're coming because I love passionate fans. I mean, I grew up a passionate fan. I still am today. I do it during the course of the game. If only people could see some of my reactions during the game when, when things don't go well. We're all fans, and we're passionate mm-hmm. about this team, and and you just hope at some point everything comes together, and then you just keep that rolling for years. You just need that one season right now, in my opinion, to bring that that winning mentality, and then you just go from there. And you, I want to back up a little bit because you mentioned earlier the pitching, the innings, the analytics, the wearing out of bullpen arms. How do you evaluate Brad Ausmus this year? Oh, yeah, you know what, Brad, it's, it's been a when you look at it, and the real when it came down to the pitching hasn't really been there. Bullpen was really good early on, and he and I think he did a pretty good job as far as utilizing the bullpen. But then when starters, you know, weren't given innings whatsoever, then you had to go to the bullpen more, and then you taxed them. And then guys like Ty Butry, who was arguably one of the best pitchers in the game, but wear and tear has knocked him back a bit. And you know, and other pitchers, whether it's Noah Ramirez. Uh, Cam Bedrosian, who's really overall has had a great season before getting hurt here towards the end. Those guys were throwing the ball so so well that they, you know, they just got worn out. And it's it that's going to come down to trusting your starting pitchers and not necessarily always going through that formula. Third time through, we got to go to the bullpen. You got to go with a feel. And I think for a guy the first time around, like like Brad, getting a, an idea, even though he was with the organization the year before, was it assistant with Billy mm-hmm. that. Now he sees what he has potential to work with, and then I think he'll have a better feel as far as working with the pitching staff more so next year because they're going to score and they're going to catch the baseball. You know, I think everyone's going to be healthy. There's a couple spots maybe here and there in, in the everyday lineup they might work with. But overall, the offense certainly has not been an issue. It's really been the starting staff and, and the inabilities to get deep into games and then eventually wearing out our bullpen. And you mentioned also the younger guys as well, like the the young core. I call them the young core: Matt Tice and uh, Renhifo, and all these guys. What are you looking forward to seeing from them as they jump from their first year in the majors to next year? Well, I, I start with uh, Luis Renhifo. He reminds me so much of Eric Ibar. Tough kid, got some pop in his bat. Not afraid to get his uniform dirty. He's not afraid to get in front of a line drive. In, in whatever infield position he's playing, more likely second base, strong throwing arm. So I, I really like getting him getting a chance to to play. And and now you all of a sudden you got a you got a core play, uh, piece that's going to be around for a, a long period of time. That is a tough player that's going to only going to get better. And you know Matt Thice, the inconsistencies with his playing or what position he's going to play. Watching him in spring training in the last two seasons, especially this past spring training. I know it's there, and it hasn't. We haven't seen it. You know, if you're watching games or listening on the radio, that you haven't seen the consistency on his swing. But I don't even think he's a home run hitter. He's hit six home runs. I'd see him a gap hitter when he when he gets into that mentality. He doesn't worry about home runs. He's a pretty darn good hitter, and you know, 
he's got a shot at be, doing something special. Just a matter of finding what position is best for him. And I don't know if third base is best for him. Uh, first base would probably be the spot, but it's, it's difficult with, you know, Shohei Otani's or DH and Albert playing all those games. And he's been pretty solid at first base. And overall, Albert's numbers as a first baseman when he's swinging the bat have been incredible as compared to the DH role for Albert. So there, it's, it's hard to find spots, but at least you know he's gained experience here at the major league level for Matt. One more prospect that is kind of there hovering a little bit, Taylor Ward. Where do you see him going, you know, in terms of skill level, in terms of where he fits in the baseball team right now? Yeah, he's another good, real, by the way, real good kid, too. Uh, I'd love to see him get a chance to play a little bit more, but it's, it's one of those spots where you have so many guys interchangeable parts. And the beauty of the game today is if you can play a number of different positions, you'll get your at bats. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's made some adjustments swinging the bat. Uh, as far as he more was a guy that really was caught up in the launch angle evolution that he could still lift the ball in the air, but I think he's getting a little bit flatter with his swing to give him a better chance to be more consistent. That I, I wouldn't give up on him at all right now. He, he works unbelievably hard. Now, if you have a, you have talent and you work hard, and it's just a matter of gaining confidence. It's hard sometimes for a position player to have confidence when you're not out there a lot because then. When you get your chance, all of a sudden you're trying to hit a ball 500 feet when that might be not, might not be part of your game. So the more playing time, the more consistent playing time would help him, but it's, it's hard to be able to find that right now. That's why it's flexibility as far as number of different positions he's playing will really help him out in his career. So last question. I know it's getting late and it's almost time for you to go. What do you believe the Angels must do next to become a serious contender again in the American League West? M- multiple starting pitchers is, is an absolute must and I don't see it right now being in, in the minor league system at this at the level where it's close enough to be an elite team. So and we all know who the names are out there as far mm-hmm. as starting pitchers that are available for free agency. So that has to be done. Period. It has to be the first foremost thing done. Now whether that does something with your everyday lineup as far as somebody you bring in or or don't keep. I mean that's going to be a part of the the casualty of trying to gain. A, a, deep starting staff. Andrew Heaney has shown now for me that he could make that next step up there and be part of a really good starting staff. So, But you have to implement now with two veteran guys, in my opinion, to give you a chance to uh, you got to get the, you got to get these guys to the postseason. you got to get Albert there one more time. you got to have uh, Mike Trout a chance to shine in that fall classic. Same thing with Shohei Otani, Anderson Simmons. Those guys deserve an opportunity to be in the postseason. So that's what Billy has to do and the whole organization has to do that, and there's nothing short of bringing in two really good pitchers. That otherwise, it's going to be a you know it's going to be a battle again next year. I mean, you can supplement and have a deep bullpen all you want, but you look at the teams that are great right now. Every one of them have outstanding starting pitching. The Astros, you know, the Red Sox mm-hmm. won last year with their starting pitching. The Dodgers have their starting pitching. So, you know, the Braves and, and the Nationals right now in, in the National League. The Yankees have some guys that are hurt right now, but they're still deep enough where they can get to their bullpen, and they just mash the ball. So Cleveland's got great starting pitching. That's how you get a chance to win each and every year, and that's what's got to be the goal for the team going this winter. And just to follow up on that, I mean, I'm, this is the obvious question, but for the naysayers out there who are listening going, oh, gosh, Alpor's aware of all this. He knows he's got to make these moves this offseason, right? I mean, he's he's obviously aware yeah. of this. Yeah, and, and he knows he has – I think he – and he realized he has a little more flexibility, and he has potentially the arm, arms out there that not only can help in the short term, but it will be around for the long term. And before 
you know, some of the younger. There's some really good arms in the lower, lower level as far as pitching starting arms, but they're not quite there. We got Griffin Canning who has a chance to be very special in your rotation. Just got to keep him healthy. Uh, and, and I mean, the guy who's pitching tonight for us, I I think is a dark horse to be a really good pitcher for a lot of years, and that's Patrick Sandoval. He's got mm-hmm. everything I like about a pitcher, and I think he's got a chance to be really good. All right. Well, thanks so much for taking time. I know you're on the way to the ballpark here shortly, if you are already. And uh, I just really appreciate that fact that you're willing to, to just go all out and talk about your career, the Angels as, as an organization right now. And can you let folks know, in case they didn't, I mean, in case they didn't, where they can find you on social media? Yeah, just at Mark Ubizoff. And, uh, and, uh, and people that have reached out to me, they know that I'm, I, I love conversations with everybody, whether it's good or bad, and try to explain what's going on with the club and, and, and what's going on with the game of baseball and always be as honest as possible. Uh, I'm, I'm, definitely, I'm definitely a half-full guy, not a half-empty guy. And I'm sure everyone's noticed that on social media with me. Oh, absolutely. All right, again, thanks so much for your time and really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, folks. That is all I've got for you. Any closing thoughts today, Brock? Oh, man. No, I mean, I, I, I hope that uh, in the future, any Q&As that pop up on Twitter, you guys hit up with uh, more questions. I, I enjoyed this. Um, I hope hopefully didn't hurt any feelings. I, I don't think I came at anybody too strong. Nothing's personal. I just I'm a, I'm a person of passion and hot takes, and hopefully uh, I didn't hurt anybody's feelings. Uh, but definitely, I'd love to hear anything you got from me on my Twitter or even on the Talking Halos Twitter. I obviously follow that. So uh, yeah, I mean, anything you got for me, let me let me hear it. I'm not I don't get butt hurt too easy. So all right, and folks, thanks so much for sending your questions. They're really good questions. Uh, it was a wide range. Of different questions, mm-hmm. by the way. Good that ones. Was, Good yeah, questions. Interesting. So, please, by all means, check it out. And again, in the future, for when we have more Q and A's, we're looking for sponsors. So, if you're interested of work, you know, working with us to help put your product out there on our show, email us at talkinghills at gmail.com. Also, you can leave us a voicemail at six five seven six 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 five four five three, and we'll be happy to talk with you. It is time for us to go. You can find us on Twitter at. Talking Halos. You can find me on Twitter at D C I A P A L A. And you can find Brock at B D Rocks 8. It's B D Rocks 8. You can find our, our podcast pretty much anywhere podcasts are found. And all that said, it's time for us to hit the road. We're out of here. And we'll see you after Thanksgiving break. See ya. The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. Let's say you make it to the top. What's next? Relish in the glory of your accomplishments? Okay, sure, for a minute. But then you move forward. Take the 2021 Escalade. Cadillac's newest arrival is more than just a celebration of iconic luxury. It's the most technologically advanced Escalade ever. Because arriving is just the beginning. 
The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.